Every night I lie awake, and I cannot sleep. I have my thoughts, the same thoughts I've been thinking of for quite some time, and they keep racing through my mind. They keep racing, they will not let me go, and I cannot sleep. For most of the night I toss and turn, kept in a chattering limbo of thought that never lets me go. And the next morning, I wake up from my non-sleep, tired and in need of rest, but I cannot. I cannot rest because my thoughts continue to repeat themselves over and over, picking up from where they left off. How do I make this stop? How do I finally get a good night's rest and a good day's work? Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about why our thoughts keep us awake at night and what we can do about it. Hello, thank you for dropping by. My name is Aldo Mayoralgo, and I'm trained as a hypnotherapist, functional breathing instructor, and well-accredited professional. This podcast is about facing the challenges of modern life by harnessing who we are, where we've been, and where we're headed. And more importantly, using the things we discover to cultivate habits and behaviors that will carry us through the highs and lows of life. This is a deep conversation. I do not know who you are, where you've been, what you did, but I do know this. Chances are, a part of you could relate to the scenario from the start of this episode. At some point in your life, you probably experienced it. Being kept awake by your thoughts at night, so much so that it affected your ability to get enough quality sleep, which in turn compromised how you felt and performed the next day. Maybe you've experienced it more than once. Maybe you experience it too much, too often, that it has become a source of distress for you. If this is the case, I hope all the more that you find value in this episode. The situation isn't hopeless, far from it, and there are definitely ways to improve your ability to fall and stay asleep even when many things are going on in your life and in your head. But it will take a good amount of understanding, and more importantly, a good level of commitment to stick to some of the habits and practices we'll be talking about. If the idea of commitment scares you, I enjoin you to keep an open mind. Dipping your toes into a little bit of behavior change is well worth the reward of finally feeling better when you wake up in the morning. And with all that said, we start by being clear about the question we would like to answer today. How can I get a good night's sleep even when my thoughts are so noisy? To answer this, we have to first gain some understanding of the issue. To do so, Let's take a step back from the how question and focus first on the why question. Why are my thoughts so noisy at night, so much so that it's hard to fall asleep? The short answer is this, and it comes in two parts. A lack of skills and an improper setup. These are two dimensions of the same problem, And for this episode, we will focus on the first dimension, a lack of skills. When your noisy mind keeps you up because of a lack of skills, it means that your mind has gotten itself into the groove of excessively ruminating, and you haven't yet learned or developed the mental strength and techniques to keep this in check. For this purpose, you can think of your mind as a system of mental muscles 
Just like how physical training strengthens your body's actual muscles, you can do mental exercises to target specific mental muscles to have them get stronger. When these mental muscles get stronger, they are more able to overcome and manage intrusive thoughts that insert themselves into your awareness. Similar to how push-ups build upper body pushing strength and how kettlebell swings are excellent at developing total body throwing power, doing certain kinds of mental strength training will allow you to more easily push down or swing away intrusive thoughts when they bubble up to the surface. Down to its very essence, strength is a skill that can be trained. This goes for both the body and the mind. But what exactly do we mean by strength when it comes to the mind? It's easy to imagine physical strength as the ability to carry and move heavy objects. But what of the mind? How do we experience strength in our heads? The answer is our being able to maintain focus. That is to say, mental strength is analogous to our ability to pay and maintain attention on something, on purpose, and to easily get back on track when we get distracted. Just like how someone who can bench press 400 pounds can more easily throw a tire across a field, someone who can stay focused on the present moment or present task like reading a thick book without constantly picking up their phone to check Instagram, is also someone who can more easily put distressing thoughts in their place and will also tend to have a more quiet mind in general. To better imagine how this works, let's try and put into words how we actually think our thoughts. When we experience thoughts in our consciousness, they flutter into our awareness as images. These images can be pictures, sounds, feelings, our own self-talk, and even smells and tastes. In truth, they are like a disco party of a combination of all of these, and the state of the dance floor changes from moment to moment. The only constant is that we are always at the center, under the main spotlight. We are the host, the star of the party, and the master of the stage. Different thoughts come in, dance with us for a while, and at some point bow off and recede into the background. We have many, many dances with many, many thoughts on a day-to-day basis and they can be very, very different. Some dances are fantastic. They are when pleasant and resourceful thoughts come to remind you of the best of yourself, the best of what you've done, and the best that you can become. The music is great, and your dance partners are excellent. The choreography is sublime, with your movements in sync to every beat. These are the dances that surround our highest moments and successes in life. Other dances are just okay. These are the dances of the mundane moments of our day-to-day life. They are the dances of mild boredom or doing mildly unpleasant things like our taxes, or eating a meal that is better than expected. The music is an everyday song, and the dance partners are awkward but can keep a beat. But some dances are those we would never like to have again. These are our dances with regret, failures, and looming trials of life. The music makes us cringe. Our partners are unruly and unwelcome. But they jostle us around, gripping us tightly, forcing us to follow them. 
to the point that we feel like we are at their mercy, waiting in vain, and just hoping for the music to end. How everyone's mental discos play out are varied and unique. And some people experience more frequent kinds of dances than others. So where does focus come into the picture in all of this? Our ability to focus is our ability to manage who are currently dancing with us so that all gate crashers are ejected and unscheduled dancers are kept off the dance floor, given a number, and are made to come on stage only when it is their turn. Focus is also the ability for us to move dancers around at will so that the stage is always how you want it. Or, at the very least, when a stray thought comes into the picture, you can easily swing them away so that they return to the sidelines. When we have focus, we are the skillful masters of the dance floor. We mill around center stage, picking our partners out from the sidelines, and give them the allocated quality time that they deserve. If we only want to dance with the thoughts of the book we are reading, then that is what the stage looks like. If we want to be fully present in the conversation we're having, then only relevant and related thoughts to the topic and the person at hand are kept under the spotlight. When some unwanted thought tries to join in, we are easily able to grab and hurl them away. Or, if we have really developed a high level of focus, we instead skillfully dance around them without missing a beat, like the wise kung fu master in the movies, until they trip over themselves and fall off stage. This is what mental strength is at its highest level. No longer a brute force antagonism towards extraneous thoughts, but grace, finesse, and a dexterity that uses the least amount of force to get the job done. This is something to truly aspire for, and it is admittedly something that has to be worked more for today than any other era. Because modern life gives us so much information and things to worry about that disorganize and frazzle us. But regardless of circumstance, engaging in mental strength training is accessible to everyone and can be done anywhere. And so the question is, what is the best exercise for developing our focus muscles? The time-tested, empirically supported, and short answer is meditation. Meditation on a neutral or mildly pleasant stimulus. This is really all you need. Now, many people feel iffy about the word meditation, which is perfectly understandable. This is often because of the religious and mystical connotations of the word. However, Meditation in its purest form is something universal, secular, and completely natural. All meditation is at its very core, taking away all the woohoo and spiritual connotations aside, is the practice of paying attention to something on purpose with a sense of mild curiosity and realigning our focus when we get distracted. Each time we realign our focus, we are doing one repetition of the mental bench press. The more reps we do, the stronger we become. That's it. And you can meditate on anything and everything around you. You can pay attention to the sensations of your breathing. And when your mind starts to wander, Return your focus to your breath. You can pay attention to your bodily sensations and notice the temperature of your hands, 
the tension in your neck, the beat in your heart, and the movement of your eyes. You can pay attention to the waves along the beach or a tree rustling in the wind. You can pay attention to your body moving through space and silently count each step as you walk. You can attempt to pay full attention to the person you are conversing with or the doggy you are cuddling with. You can even pay attention to the consistent and silent hum of your air conditioner in the background. These are all meditation. These are all kinds of mental strength training. And there is a reason why focusing and a refocusing on neutral or mildly pleasant stimuli is so effective in quieting noisy thoughts. Going back to our dance floor metaphor, when some distressing thoughts try to gate crash and jump on stage and they are very, very strong, it can be very hard to get them to budge. They are heavy. They are immovable objects. Giving them your distressed attention only makes them more loud and more reactive. What then can we do? What is the most effective way to get unsavory thoughts to leave the stage when we are not yet strong enough to push them away? The answer is to not give them attention. And instead, choose to give your attention elsewhere. Call up the stage some neutral or mildly pleasant thoughts, thoughts of your choosing, and dance with them, focus on them, and let the unwanted thoughts just hang around as you become content to just share the dance floor for the time being. The only thing that is keeping these adverse thoughts on stage is our attention, our adverse reaction to them. When we treat them with indifference, curiosity, and even acceptance, they lose interest. They eventually get bored and decide to just leave the stage by their own volition. Sure, it might only take a few seconds before they decide to jump back on stage again to bother you. Some of these thoughts rapidly jump on and off the stage, especially if they are very relevant to your life at the moment. But for as long as you decide to dance with your neutral and mildly pleasant thoughts, you have an avenue to ride things out and watch as the stage quiets down and becomes more ordered in the way you want it to be. Okay, so how can we put this into practice in the moment? Let's say there is a particularly distressing thought that keeps playing out in your mind, or maybe a group of thoughts, voices, images, memories. They are keeping you up and awake in bed. You try so hard to tell them to go away, but it only emboldens them and makes them noisier. In this moment, this is what you can do. Invite three thoughts on stage to dance with you. Namely, number one, the sensations of your breathing. Number two, a neutral sound like the buzz of your room fan or air conditioner. And number three, the sensation in your palms and fingertips. When I say, invite these three thoughts to dance with you, what I mean is this. Our attention is always fluctuating from place to place. With our intention, we can choose to pay attention to these three things and watch as our attention jumps around. 
So you may at first try to focus on your breathing and notice the sensation of air moving through your nostrils as you inhale and exhale. After a while, you move on to the next dance partner and see how long you can maintain focus on the sound of the soft humming of your air conditioner in the background. Maybe at this point, a noisy thought about your to-do list for the day butts in and tries to get your attention by making a lot of noise. Simply nod your head at it. Tell yourself, I got distracted or I was thinking. And decide to pay attention to the sensation of your hands, the temperature and feeling on your palms and fingertips. After a while, return your attention to your breathing, maybe for a little bit longer this time, and then choose again to dance again with the feeling in your palms or the soft buzz of your air conditioner, or maybe decide to move on to another neutral or mildly pleasant sensation. Continue to do this for a set amount of time. The point is that you are picking who you are dancing with, and when a noisy extraneous thought tries to butt in, acknowledge that you got distracted and return to your dance. Getting distracted is not a bad thing. It's exactly the opposite. Each time you get distracted is an opportunity to practice returning to your dance with your chosen partners. And each time you do this is one more repetition in your mental strength training. If you simply do this for 20, 10, or even 5 minutes, your mind will be in a better and more centered place than it was before you started, guaranteed. While I truly believe that this method is the best bang-for-buck way to practice, especially for beginners, this is only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to meditation. We will be discovering many different methods down the line with this podcast. But, at the end of this episode, I will be giving you a short guided meditation to help you relax at night to get you started. I hope you'll stick around for that. Okay. So we've discovered that certain exercises, especially meditation, can build mental strength, and this is well and good. However, when it comes to learning to skillfully calm our minds, it is only 50% of the solution. Strength will only get you so far. The other important half is technique. This is because by default, our minds have their own unique quirks. They are really good at certain things, not too good at other things, and nearly incapable of doing a certain subset of things. And sometimes, with positive intentions and a full tank of willpower, we unknowingly try to get our minds to do something they can't. Here is a classic example. I would like you to try, right now, with your very best effort, to not think of a pink elephant. That's right. Whatever you do, do not think of a pink elephant. Do not think of this thing that I am asking you not to think about. So how are you doing? Good? Not so good? Chances are, you are finding that this task is near impossible. How does one not think of something without thinking of the thing itself? To be frank, we cannot. This is because our minds cannot process a negation of something without first activating neural networks pointing to that thing in the first place. 
And so, the more you try telling yourself to not think of a certain forbidden animal of a certain color, the stronger the magnetic pull of that thought coming into your awareness. Do not think of a pink elephant is a classic example of what is called a negative suggestion. Orienting yourself towards a certain behavior, but stating it in terms of what you are trying to avoid. It's a fun example for sure, one that seems more for novelty than anything else. However, things run deeper. The concept of a negative suggestion is a very important one when it comes to how we use our thoughts to communicate with ourselves. We use negative suggestions every day, sometimes in ways that are consequential. Here is an example. Imagine a mother who is watching her four-year-old child who is outside playing in the garden and catches him just as he is bringing a handful of mud to his mouth. The mother is frantic and screams from the window, Don't put that thing in your mouth! In the heat of the moment, what do you think the four-year-old child will do upon hearing this? Will he slowly realize the error of his ways, hurl the glob of mud away from himself, apologize profusely and wipe his hands on some grass? Not likely. Chances are, the startled child will hear, don't put that thing in your mouth, and react by putting that thing into his mouth, the exact opposite of what was asked of him. Why? Our brains have two general processing pathways, a fast, impulsive one, and a slow, calculating one. As the Nobel Prize-winning economists Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky have shown in their book, Thinking Fast and Slow, the fast, impulsive pathway is what drives our lives. Loosely speaking, the slow pathway describes our conscious minds, and the fast pathway corresponds to our subconscious minds. While the conscious mind is the seat of reason and higher-order thinking, the subconscious is faster, more powerful, and has a greater pull on our behavior. In terms of sheer processing power alone, it is estimated that the conscious mind can only process around 40 bits of information per second, whereas the subconscious mind can process a whopping 20 million bits of information per second. When the surprised child hears his mother's words, senses his mother's agitation, and realizes that he must respond quickly, the fast pathway kicks into overdrive and looks for the path of least resistance, for immediate action. Before any kind of conscious deliberation can take place, the subconscious urgently uses the mother's words as a reference point for the quickest response possible. The problem, of course, is that the reference point was stated as a negative suggestion. The subconscious might be lightning fast, but as mentioned earlier, it has limitations on what it can do well. Upon hearing his mother's words, the child's mind is like a frantic journalist who is trying to meet a midnight deadline. Looking up to see the clock read 11.59 p.m., it frantically just retypes what it hears, Don't put that thing in your mouth! While leaving out the don't, and clicks publish without proofreading. The mother had positive intentions, but did not get a positive outcome, largely because of her choice of words. If she were to instead say, Stop! Put your hand down! Or, Throw that mud away! These would likely lead to a better outcome, because these statements are what we call positive suggestions. Negative suggestions, 
fixate on what you are trying to avoid. Positive suggestions focus on where you want to go. The thing about positive suggestions is that they leave no room for confusion in your brain. Instead of taking two steps, bring to mind an action, and then consider the negation of that action, it only takes one step by telling you exactly what you need to do. When trying to effectively communicate with ourselves, positive suggestions are often the best bet. And while there are times when they can be useful, using negative suggestions is mostly like hopping onto a taxi and when the driver asks, where should I take you? You respond with anywhere but the airport. If you do not not understand what I am not saying here, consider not if you do not know whether or not statements that are stated in the not positive are not not confusing. <laughs> okay. Admittedly, that made no sense, but the point of that last blurb was for you to experience for yourself how confusing it can be when our communication is filled with negations such as the word not. Every don't, not, never, and the like are an extra step in understanding at best and an error signal in your brain at worst. Now all this might seem like a whole lot of explaining for the simple concept of a negative suggestion. But you will see why getting a grasp of it is so important in a second. Let's take what we've learned and apply it to an example that will probably hit closer to home. Imagine that you are at school, home, or work when something unexpected and stressful happens something that has very real consequences for your near future, but not something that is overly distressing. Something along the lines of getting told off by an authority figure, overlooking something important that is needed for the day, or messing up badly in front of a lot of people. In the heat of the moment, what would your first thoughts likely be? For many people, other than thinking words not suitable for children, the knee-jerk reaction when in the heat of the moment would be to frantically tell themselves, don't panic, don't panic, don't panic, or don't be anxious, or don't be scared. These are examples of, well, you guessed it, negative suggestions. And upon thinking these negative suggestions, their brains would start looking for and activating the very neural connections relating to panic, anxiety, and fear. The effect? Not good. Don't panic greases the gears for panic. Like we talked about, the better option would be to shift gears towards positive suggestions instead. And when it comes to positive suggestions, there are several techniques that can be learned and utilized to get different effects in your mind. To showcase this, let's look at some positive alternatives to don't panic. Alternative number one, think, keep calm. This should come as no surprise. The opposite of a state of panic is a state of calm. By telling yourself to keep calm, you are directing your mind towards a goal state you want to be experiencing rather than looking away from a state you are trying to avoid. Neurologically, your subconscious takes the suggestion from your conscious mind and starts searching your brain's neural networks for all things related to the word calm. Once found, these are kept energized and at the ready for a certain period of time and can be built on or weakened depending on the conscious mind's next suggestions. This is a basic technique we can call orienting towards state. It is direct, clear, and its purpose is to shift your focus 
towards a resourceful emotion or a state like calm, courage, or determination. However, as we all know, orienting towards state doesn't always work out so well. Try telling yourself to keep calm when you've already reached panic mode. When you are already in the throes of anxiety, what is supposed to sound like keep calm can quickly turn into keep calm, (laughs) keep calm, oh my god, keep calm. The subconscious hears the words you are saying, but it also senses the emotions, tone, and body tension attached to your words. When your words used and the emotion attached do not match, the emotion will always win. And so, orienting towards state is useful, but it has its limits. You can use orienting towards state when you sense that you are about to experience an undesirable state and want to interrupt that path. But when you already have one foot in the doorway of an undesirable state, a point of no return that is different for every emotion, a different technique called orienting towards action is much more effective. This is demonstrated by the next example. Alternative number two. Instead of don't panic, think, take a deep breath, and exhale slowly. When you say keep calm, you are nudging your subconscious towards a certain state. When you say take a deep breath, you are nudging your subconscious towards a certain action that will in turn bring you closer to a certain state. This is a critically important distinction because when you are already embodying a certain emotion in the moment, your mind and body want to hold on to that emotion for as long as possible. When you are already accelerating into an emotion with your foot pressing hard on the gas pedal, you cannot just floor the brake and expect a full stop. It takes time for an emotion to settle down. The technical term for this is our emotional refractory period. When you are already panicked and you try to suggest keep calm, not going to work. When you are already feeling sad and you try to suggest just be happy, not going to work. You cannot just order a speeding car to stop. You will only be met with resistance and shrieking of gears. You have to find ways to safely decelerate or ride out the car's current momentum as you plan out a new route. This is where orienting towards action is so effective. Instead of thinking, keep calm, which tells your subconscious, hey, I don't care if we are already going at 100 miles per hour on this highway to ultimate panic. I want you to take a U-turn right at this instant. Which your subconscious will probably respond with, There is no more U-turn slot. Thinking, take a deep breath and exhale slowly. Does something different. It tells your subconscious, Oh, hey, since we're already going this route, Wanna go someplace cool? You just have to move one lane to the right and take the next exit and we'll be well on our way. Notice how the subconscious has to take a bit of a leap of faith with this technique, but since the detour utilizes the existing route, it is less likely to flag up any descent. In the same vein, consciously doing deep diaphragmatic breathing with longer exhales, does a number of good things to our bodies. And if someone were to explain some of these benefits in purely technical terms, it would sound something like this. Disclaimer. The next minute that follows might sound a little bit 
too jargon-filled so much so that it registers as blah, 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 blah. But that's precisely the point. So take a listen. Deep breathing increases ventilation perfusion and improves blood oxygenation levels while keeping blood carbon dioxide and pH levels within an optimal range. It stimulates the vagus nerve, which quiets our bodily arousal, lowers stress hormones like cortisol, and stimulates the relaxation response of our bodies via the parasympathetic nervous system. It refocuses the mind away from something unpleasant and towards the breath, which is a neutral and even mildly pleasant sensation, which interrupts the pattern of message units in the subconscious mind to shorten the emotional refractory period of the negative emotion. It improves the synchronicity of our heartbeats and our respiration rates, causing our bodily functions to perform more coherently, which can be measured via technical metrics like heart rate variability and respiratory sinus arrhythmia. Lastly, it aids in lymphatic drainage via muscular contraction of the diaphragm and intercostals, which in turn allows greater removal of toxins from our bodies. Okay. If at some point during that last part, your mind spaced out from all the jargon and some words flew over your head, this is actually precisely the point. All of these benefits lead to greater feelings of calm, even if we do not fully understand them. Even if we aren't familiar with all these different pathways of the body that are affected by the way that we breathe, we do not need to understand them for it to work. We just need to breathe. And that's great. Because it means that in the presence of the right action, the amount of knowledge you have about that action is secondary. In other words, orienting towards the action of deep breathing with a slow exhale is a detour, an indirect route that will eventually lead to a state of calm without going against the subconscious head-on. The resistance is less, the route is more workable, and the destination is the same. This is orienting towards action at its best. So we've covered a bit of ground here. In truth, similar to the first half on mental strength training, these first examples on mental techniques are only the tip of the iceberg. For today, the most important thing to realize is that we have a lot more freedom to better manage our minds than many of us think. All we need is the knowledge, a leap of faith when it counts, and a small commitment to start practicing and keeping the practice today. There is so much to unpack and so many valuable practices that we can implement in our lives. It only excites me to be able to share more of this incredible world with you in the future episodes. Before we get to the guided meditation at the end of the episode, let's recap some of the key points for today. Number one, when our minds are noisy at night, it is usually due to two things, a lack of mental skills and an improper setup, which we will be discussing in a future episode. Number two, when it comes to mental skills, there are two important components, building strength and practicing techniques. Number three, when it comes to building strength, this ultimately means building our ability to maintain and recover focus. The strength of our focus muscles is what keeps our thoughts from going wild in our heads. To help with this, meditation is an excellent tool. Number four, it is helpful to think of our minds as a dance floor 
with us in center spotlight. When we meditate on neutral or pleasant thoughts, it allows us to better quiet our minds because unwanted thoughts are not given the attention they need to stay noisy. Number five, when we talk about practicing techniques, we are talking about harnessing the different quirks our mind has when we communicate with ourselves. Number six, one such quirk we can work around is the fact that our minds cannot think in negations. This is why negative suggestions like don't be sad are counterproductive. Number seven, when communicating with ourselves, positive suggestions fixate the mind in where you do want to go, which is more efficient and more effective. Two kinds of positive suggestions are orienting towards state and orienting towards action. Number eight, orienting towards state is like saying, keep calm. We nudge our subconscious towards a specific state this is more effective when we are approaching, but not yet fully experiencing an unwanted emotion. And number nine, orienting towards action is like saying, take a deep breath and exhale slowly. This is very useful when we are already in the throes of unwanted emotions. For as long as the behavior we suggest is an indirect route to the state we want to achieve. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you found the information I shared here valuable, please like, follow, subscribe, or share this podcast, depending on what platform you're using to listen. It helps me out a ton and allows me to better produce content for you guys. And with all that said, feel free to listen to the guided meditation that follows, which is geared towards helping you learn how to relax at night and to start practicing focus training. Remember to only do this in a safe place when you are lying down or sitting down at a time of relaxation and to always consult your doctor before starting any kind of new regimen. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you again in the next episode. We can start by finding comfortable position seated or lying down whichever you prefer and as you get yourself comfortable You can begin just noticing how it feels like to be in your body today. Notice how you are feeling. By starting to place your attention on your body, and notice the different sensations 
on your body, the clothes on your skin, and the feeling of air on your body. And as you start to notice how you feel, you might begin to realize that you are breathing. That's right. Just notice how it feels to breathe. No need to change how you are breathing. However it is, Today, it is. Just notice the air. Moving in and out. of your nostrils and mouth. How this feels for you today. As you notice how you are feeling with your breathing, you can become aware of the top of your head. That's right. feeling of your skin and your hair on your head. allow your body to start relaxing, starting from the top of your head like a wave moving downward. Starting from the top, forehead, eyes, relaxing now. relaxing your chest your abdomen 
to your arms, your hands, to your fingertips, relaxing deeply now. into your hips, upper legs to your knees, down to your calves, relaxing into your feet, your toes, your entire body relaxing now. Notice how nice it feels to relax today. staircase, a strong staircase with a sturdy handrail with 20 steps. Well, 
11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, Five, four, three, two, one. Deep sleep. today. 